Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us for the final lesson in our series, Imagine. Over the weeks of this series, we've been looking at reasons and ways to have a vision so that we can take advantage of opportunities or problems that happen to come our way. This week, Lead Pastor David Fossil lays out for us how we can leave a legacy, not just for our family, but for our community. Let's join the service in progress as Pastor Dave tells the story of the effect a little girl named Hattie Mae had on her church just because she wanted to save her pennies as a way to help. In figures, I can do something, right? Uh, unfortunately, uh, her story it doesn't end well. She, she contracted a very uh, rare disease and died as a very young child. And at her funeral service, her mother went up to the pastor who was officiating at the funeral and gave the pastor a small purse, a small coin purse um, that contained what Hattie Mae had been saving for her Sunday school program. And in it, she had 57 cents. This so moved the pastor, um, not knowing that this young little girl in his congregation was doing that, that he, he told the congregation what she had done. And uh, they got motivated and they founded the Hattie Mae Foundation. First thing they did is they took those 57 pennies and they auctioned them off each penny. They raised uh, $250 each penny. Uh, back in the 1880s, that's a lot of money. Uh, the, the congregation continued to get motivated. This foundation continued to grow. Eventually, they bought a house adjacent to Grace Baptist uh, Church that they turned into their entire Sunday school area. They People started motivated and continued to give. Eventually, because of this Hattie May Foundation, they were instrumental in founding Temple University. They also founded the Good Samaritan Hospital in downtown Philadelphia that is today known as Temple University, uh, Temple University uh, Hospital. All because of 57 pennies. When I was talking to Joy and, and I realized what we were going to be doing this morning with our kids coming up with their banks, I couldn't help but think of this story. Uh, because it, it really it introduces us to what I want to talk to you about as I conclude our imagined study today. That the, the celebration and commitment is next week, but the study ends today. Uh, I have done my very best over these past four to five weeks to talk to you about the campaign and the pivotal point that we're going through as a church, but to always have you walk away with something you could apply to your life. So, so week one, we talked about what do you do when you're stuck? What do you do when you find yourself in a desert, in a wilderness? You want to go to the promised land, but you're not sure what to do. How do you do that personally? How do we do that as a congregation as we're looking for a future facility? Then we talked about uh, the prayer of Jabez and praying boldly, asking God to bless our lives, asking him to expand our territory. The next week, we looked at the story of Samuel. How do I hear from God? If this God's supposed to be talking to me, how do I do that? How do I know that he's talking to me? What do I do to put myself in a position so I know which direction to go and what to do to please God? And so we talked about that. Last week, we talked about how do you get a miracle? If you're here today and your life is falling apart, what do you do if you need a miracle? What do we do as a congregation if we need a miracle? And today, based upon what our children have just done, based upon the story of Hattie Mae, I want to talk to you about legacy. Legacy. Legacy is not something that we talk about a lot. Um, legacy is something that normally someone who's a little bit more elderly starts thinking about. But on my generation, you're, we're not even engaged in that yet, right? We're, we're not thinking about, about what happens after we're gone. Let's just make sure we all understand what the word legacy 
means. This is a very simple definition found in a dictionary about legacy. Legacy is something you pass on. Legacy is something you leave for others. It's what you're remembered for. It's handing something down to future generations. Now, legacy has been part of this imagined campaign since it started. One of the key foundational and theme verses that we've covered in our, in our, in our communication meetings is a verse tucked away in the book of Psalms. Psalm 102, uh, says this. Let's put it up on the screen. Verse 18. Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created. In other words, people that haven't been born yet. People who, who, who have not been born yet may praise the Lord. You see, I'm hoping, and, and I trust that you as well, that 50 to 75 years from now, someone will stand up on this stage and, tell, uh, and speak to the congregation of Bay Hills at that time, maybe even one of the kids that came up this morning and say, I was there when they started to imagine. I was there when they stepped out in faith. I was there when they said, we can do this together as a congregation. And because of what they did, they left us a legacy. They passed on to us the ability to continue to minister to this East Bay community and to the uttermost parts of the earth as best as we can because of what they did. You know, I'm thinking about 50 to 70 years from now, a young man that's transferred from the East Coast into this area and is all alone. I'm thinking about a young couple who have their first child and decide maybe we should go back to church. I'm thinking about someone who's just been widowed because their spouse died in, in, a, in a car accident and they weren't expecting it. I'm thinking about a group of students from Pinole High that 60 years from now wander, wander into our youth group. I'm thinking about a couple who's been married for 16 years and are having marriage troubles and they don't know where to turn. I'm thinking about an immigrant that moves here looking for a better life and stumbles into Bay Hills one Sunday morning. I'm thinking about a friend of ours that shows up because they finally come to church. I'm thinking about a husband who finally agrees to come with his wife to church. I'm thinking about someone who sees our ad in marketplace and decides why not. I'm thinking about someone 50 to 70 years from now who comes to this church and they're able to praise the Lord. They're able to meet Jesus in part because of what you and I are doing through this campaign. Legacy. You see, it's not just about us. It's never just been about us. God requires that each of us as individuals and families and collectively as a church, don't think about just me today now. We think about what's going to happen when I'm gone. What am I going to pass on to my children, to my family? What am I going to pass on to this congregation? What I want to do is I want to talk to you about how to do that. And uh, if you want to follow along with me, I'm going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3. Now, Nehemiah chapter 3, um, if you were with us when we were back at the school, we actually went through the book of Nehemiah chapters 1 through 7 at the beginning of this year. But I skipped chapter 3. I skipped chapter 3. Do you know why? I skipped chapter 3 because I'm not supposed to say this as a pastor, but this is why I skipped chapter 3. It's boring. Do you ever read anything in the Bible? You're like, what is this? You know, you just kind of it's a skip over chapter as a pastor, as a Christian. We're not supposed to say that it's boring. Why? But let me just give you a couple examples. I mean, I think I'm going to give you verse two and three of, of Nehemiah chapter three. Let's put it on the screen. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hanase. 
They laid its beams, put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, sons of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulah, son of Berechiah, son of Mishabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Baana, also made repairs. Don't you just want to go home and memorize those verses? Aren't they just exciting, life-changing verses? That's what the entire book of Nehemiah chapter 3 is about. Just name after name after name after name after name. You see, you have to understand the context of the book of Nehemiah. It's the story of a man who gets permission from his boss. He's living in Persia. He gets permission from his boss. Please, can I go back to my homeland? Can I go back to to Jerusalem? Because the city of Jerusalem has been torn down and its outer wall is in disrepair. Help me, allow me to go back, take a leave of absence from my job so I can rebuild the wall. And what you have in Nehemiah chapter 3 is basically a list of all the people that helped out all the people that helped build that wall. I mean, it it reads like a Jewish phone book of difficult to pronounce names. It seems redundant. It seems meaningless until you understand the purpose for which it was written and included in our scriptures. What's fascinating about this chapter is not once is their leader, Nehemiah mentioned, not once he's not mentioned. He's the key figure in that book, not mentioned once in that book. Instead, 38 individuals and 42 different people groups are mentioned by name and focused in and pointed towards the success of the project they were they were trying to pull off. Which leads us to what we're talking about this morning. You see, legacy doesn't happen in a family. Legacy doesn't happen in a business. Legacy doesn't happen in a school or a team. Legacy doesn't happen in a church. Just because Dave's behind it, just because Joy and Linda are behind it, just because the elders are behind it. No, legacy happens only if everyone gets involved and everyone participates and sacrificially gives to this project. That's what Nehemiah 3 is all about. It's not about the leader. It's about everyone else. Reminding us that when you're trying to leave legacy, when you're trying to leave something bigger than yourself, it requires the effort and the contribution of everyone. You know, there's a modern day equivalent to Nehemiah chapter 3 for our church. And it's this right here. You may not be able to see this very well or even know what it is. This is, this is our church directory. We produced it about, I don't know, a year or a year and a half ago. It seems like we got to update these every six months because we have so many of us, right? But what you need to know is that Bay Hills doesn't happen. Bay Hills does not do ministry in this community. Bay Hills does not have impact on people without these people, without you. Now, that's not just some, some motivational statement or theological truth. It's reality. It's reality for every single staff member. We have close to a hundred people helping, serving and volunteering around in the ministries of this church. This you are Nehemiah chapter three. And it gives for us and lays for us foundations of what do we do as we are looking into our future, as you are looking into your future. How do you leave a legacy for your family and your children? How do you leave a legacy where you're working? Or if you're part of a team, how do we leave a legacy as a church? What do we do? I'm going to give you five principles. If you're jotting down notes, the first thing I want you to write down is this. Is that leaders must set the example. Leaders must set the example. 
in verse one of the chapter, here's what we read. Eliashib, the high priest, he was the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated, set its doors in place, building as far as the tower of the hundred, so on and so forth. Now, I've just talked to you about the, the value and the importance of the team, but it's important to start where chapter three starts reminding us that the high priest was involved in this. Now, you may have seen it in your Sunday school classes, how the high priest used to dress. He used to have a robe all the way from his neck, all the way fine linen, all the way down to his ankles. He used to wear special expensive sandals you could only buy at Macy's. He used to have a a, a, a sash with 12 stones, precious stones on his sash, representing the 12 tribes of Israel, right? He had a, a big purple turban on the front of it. It said, God is holy, right? Very expensive, clothing. And yet here in verse one, we have the priest pushing a wheelbarrow and laying down brick. Why? Because even though the team is necessary to accomplish the big task and leave a legacy, the leaders always set the pace. The leaders always set the example. Now, let me just say personally, you're never going to see me in a turban and a long linen robe. But I want to speak on behalf of the leaders of this congregation that includes the staff that includes the leadership board that includes the ministry leaders and small group leaders that are sitting among us here today and i want you just to know this we're in we're in this imagine campaign is not just something we're asking you to do no we're in In fact, before we unveiled it to the congregation, months and months and months ago, we had multiple meetings with different types of leaders in this church and said, we're not doing this unless we're all in. Why? Because when you're trying to accomplish something big and when you're trying to leave leave a legacy, the leaders always set the example. They always set the pace. And I want you to know that next Sunday, the leaders of this church, we will set the pace. We will be an example and we will say, follow us. Let's take the hill. Let's build this wall. Let's leave a legacy. Now, how about you in your family? Parents, husbands, leaders in your job, if you're a leader at your job. The legacy that your organization or your family leaves is based upon what you do or don't do. Because you set the pace. You set the example. So start working on that now. Now, this verse does give us a hint in terms of exactly how to set the pace. It indicates to us that the high priest and his staff, the fellow priest, went to work. Now notice, and rebuilt the what? The sheep gate. When you read Nehemiah chapter 3, it talks about all the different gates in the city around the, 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 the wall that were being rebuilt. But it says that the high priest, and they first started with the sheep gate. Why? And what's the significance of this gate? Well, when you look at a map and you understand the layout of Jerusalem, you very, very quickly realize that the sheep gate was the primary way you got to the temple. It was the substation you got off at to get to the temple. And here's the most important why they called it the sheep's gate. It's because every sheep that went through that gate was earmarked as a sign of commitment to God. Every sheep that went through that gate would be sacrificed to the glory of God in the temple. And the priests 
and the high priest working on this sheep gate was their way of saying, we're going to put God first. We're going to put God first. Nehemiah, put, put us working on the sheep gate. Do you want to leave a legacy? I know some of you are very young and you're, you're not even thinking about getting to that age where your knees are crickety and your eyes don't work as well. And you're here. But, but it's coming down the road. You want to leave a, a legacy? Make God first. Put them first in your family. Put them first in your finances. Put them first in your career. Put them first. And it puts you in a situation, gives you the foundation to leave a godly legacy. Put God first. Set the example. Second thing I want to encourage you to do, jot this down, is be available and willing to sacrifice. Be available and willing to sacrifice. I love verse 8. One of my favorite verses in the entire chapter. Uziel, son of Haraniah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs to that, to, to the next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Now, if I'm Nehemiah and I'm, I'm embarking on this construction project, on this major building, the thing that I need to do, this wall, I don't know about Nehemiah, but I'm looking for construction types. You know the construction types. You know, you know, they're, they're the guys with big arms and sleeveless shirts. They own a hard hat and a lot of tools. They, you know, they repaired their, they did a re- remodel in their kitchen last year. You know, they got a couple tats. You know, they got a cool ponytail in the back. Construction types. You know what I'm talking about. That's who I'm going to call upon. But Nehemiah, he gets a guy who, who works at the jewelry store. He gets another guy that works at the cologne department at Macy's. Right now, when you read Nehemiah three, you, you realize that the, the construction types are there, that the, the general contractors are there like George and the construction types like like Bruce, the guys that know what they're doing, you know. But but you also need, you know, perfume makers like like Terrence to help out. You know, you need everybody is involved. <laughs> right. Here's the point. Here's the point. I'm sorry, Terrence. It's, it's just too easy. Um Not everybody can do everything, but everybody can do something. Everybody can do something. And that's what we've been talking about. Everyone can participate some way, somehow. I I love this next verse, verse 12. Shalom, son of Hanoshe, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repair the next section with the help of his daughters. They could have said... Just got a manicure. But instead they said, step aside, boys, we're going to show you some girl power. You know what? This was not an accepted practice to have women do construction work. Now that I think about it, I mean, when's the last time you saw a woman, a woman, you know, do concrete? But these girls are like, no, 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 no. We're not staying home making sandwiches. We're going to help out. We're helping out. I'm thinking, this is just me, the single guys wanted to help in this section of the wall. Right? We're in. We could participate. God can use you. I don't care if you're young or old. I don't care if you're white or black. I don't care if you have a GED or a PhD. God can use you if, if you choose to be available. 
if you choose to sacrificially give. That's what we've been talking about the whole time. Don't worry about what someone else is going to give. I've never mentioned amounts to anybody. I've always talked the same thing. It's sacrifice. You think sacrifice for you. For those of you who have been to a communication meeting, excuse me, but I want to tell a story that I've been telling at these meetings because it was the single most important story for me, for me. It helped me change my perspective. Why? You know, as your pastor, you know me. Uh, I don't mind telling you as it is and about anything, right? Um, I try and be more tactful when it comes to finances and money because some people get all crazy about that. And you know me, once or twice a year we talk about it. Over the last five, six weeks, I've brought it up a little each week. And so um, I've had to be careful because some people have been already chirping in my ear about, oh, here the church goes again. And, you know, it, it's funny how those words rattle around in my head. But this, this next story or really article helped me. And I think it will help you. It's entitled, for those of you who haven't heard it, Why I Will Always Belong to a Church That Needs Money. It's an article. And I'm just going to read to you what this guy said. It says, on July the 23rd, 1970, my wife Connie gave birth to a beautiful baby boy. Lance, our son, was born before it was acceptable for a father to be in the delivery room, so I waited in the hallway just outside. At precisely 4.13, I heard a sound I will never forget. My son's, Lance, first cry. The nurse emerged with a smile and said, you have a baby boy. And I could hardly wait to get Connie and my son out of the hospital and back home. But the glow of fatherhood was soon dimmed when I was asked to visit the business office at the hospital. They wanted me to pay for Lance. In fact, it seemed to me that my wife and son would be held hostage until the bill was settled. I wrote the check, paid the bill in full, freed my family and made my escape. That check turned out to be only the first of hundreds and maybe thousands of checks that I wrote on Lance's behalf. Children are expensive. There was food to buy, doctor's visits, formula, vaccinations. All these things assaulted my bank account. Diapers and toys took their toll and clothes were a constant financial drain. And just about the time we had built a great wardrobe up for the kid, he would grow, forcing us to start all over again. As his age and size increased, so did the expenses. Soon it was baseball gloves, Nike shoes, uniforms, glasses for his eyes and braces for his teeth. Then disaster struck. Lance became a teenager. Now it was dates and cars, brand name clothes. Then came college. Lance has always and only ever wanted to be an architect. It, it seemed that he would be in school until he was 40 years old. Expenses soared, tuition, books, drawing tools. But of course, just like parents everywhere, we were happy to be able to help him and did all that we could to support his growth and his dreams. And then one day, Lance died. On Halloween Day, 1991, we buried our 21-year-old Lance in our church's country cemetery. And that afternoon, we walked away from his grave. And since that day, we have never spent another nickel on Lance. And that's how I learned it. That's how I got it. Death is cheap. Death can be sustained without expense. It is living that is costly. It is growth that is expensive. That is why I will always belong to a church that needs money. A living, growing, thriving church will always require the continual, consistent, and sacrificial support of its congregation. And this turned it for me. Because I realized, what's the alternative? 
The alternative is for me to stand up in front of you and say, you know what, we don't need any cash. Because there's hardly any kids in the nursery. And there's barely any students in youth group. We don't need a bigger parking lot or a larger sanctuary because there's less and less people. I would much prefer to be part of a church that has the kind of problems that we have. Some of us don't realize how fortunate we are to be part of a church that is growing because the reality is that people are leaving the church in the United States of America in droves. 3,500 churches a year, 67 a week, close their doors. And yet we have a problem. Our problem is that more and more people, more and more children, more and more students are coming. And so we need the resources to have more room. Be available. Be willing to sacrifice. The next point is don't be discouraged and frustrated by the uninvolved. It's interesting, in the middle of this, all these volunteers, you get this verse. Verse 5, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. And then it adds, their nobles, those are probably the wealthier people. This is the city council people, the people who had influence. Their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. You have all these people who are willing to help. All these people who are willing to contribute. All these people who are going to get involved. And this, this group goes, nah, not me. You know what I've realized over the years? It doesn't matter if it's a church or a family or a team or a business or a school. It doesn't matter. You will always find a group like the nobles of Tekoa. Always. A group of people that come up with whatever reason and whatever excuse why they're not going to be a part. Of course, they want to enjoy the benefits of all everyone else's work. But yeah, no, I can't participate. It's interesting. In this case, it seems to be pride. Yeah, we're, we're not going to work under their supervisors. How can we possibly work under those contractors? They're not even licensed. Did you know that? Something like that is the reason they come up with. I want to encourage you. Don't get focused on the nobles of Tekoa. Don't focus in on the people who won't participate. Don't do that. Right? By the way, um, you know what Nehemiah's response was to these guys? He ignored them. Just flat out ignored them. Why? Do you know why I think? Because you can, folk, you, you can look at 98 people out of 100 that are participating and helping and contributing. And then you notice the two people who do nothing and sit. And if you focus on them, you're going to get discouraged, frustrated, and bitter. So he chooses to look on the 98 that are helping. And I want you to do the same. You know, 98% of us are going to shoulder to shoulder, side by side, build a wall and leave a legacy through this Imagine campaign. Focus on them. Focus on them and, and let God deal with the nobles of Tekoa, whoever they may be, and work in their heart, right? Now, if you find yourself in that category, if you're like, I'm not sure if I can, if I should, you know, I'm kind of tight. And if you're in that category, let me give you an example, an illustration from my life. When I was a freshman in college, I played on a a nationally ranked soccer team. Um, On that year, we played against UCLA, who won the national championship, and we tied them. And we were a small college. I I was a young freshman. I I was just turned 17 
when I went to college. Didn't turn 18 till the beginning of my sophomore year. So I was a young freshman, and even though I had some ability as an incoming soccer player for this team, one of the things that I detested about my freshman year, I absolutely hated with a passion about this team, is this one thing. Every once in a while, at the end of the game where we were playing against other teams, I would have to go to the equipment manager and hand in a white, very clean jersey. You know what that meant? It meant I sit the pine. It meant I'd been on the bench. And I couldn't stand that. I didn't care if we won the game. I wanted to get in. I wanted to contribute. I wanted to play and help. Don't you be one of those people who turn in a white jersey at the end of the campaign. Don't be one of those people that at the end you turn in a white jersey to Jesus. Get involved. There's a lot at stake, not just for us, but for you and your spiritual growth. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know when we're going to end up in our new building. I don't. It could be a year. It could be five years from now. It could be 10 years from now. But I don't want you to walk up to that building and say, look what everyone else built. Don't be that person. Jump in. Do what you can. Help out however you can. And side by side, we'll build this wall and we'll leave a legacy. Point number four is have the right attitude. Go the extra mile. Verse 20 says this. It says, next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired the another section. In other words, he had the right attitude. When we give every Sunday, but especially next week, give with the good, with the right attitude. When you serve in whatever ministry or department it is, serve with the right attitude. Do it because you want to and you love Jesus. Okay? That's an important component. It's significant, right? Have a can-do positive attitude just like this guy called baruch now look at verse 14 i love verse 14 the dung gate was repaired by malkesia i want you to imagine malkesia going up to nehemiah nehemiah has got his clipboard and he and malkesia says okay yeah where am i supposed to go nehemiah is like okay uh well i'm gonna send you to the uh yeah to the poop gate go to the manure gate i'm gonna have you work on that can I work at the fountain gate? Can I go work at the, at the gardens gate outside the palace? No, you go work at the dung gate. We need that fixed. You know what that reminds me of? It, it reminds us that there are not very fun, not very glamorous jobs in our family, for example. Aren't there moms and dads? There are things you do that are not very fun. You do them anyway. At our job, at our church, there are ministry tasks that uh, not only are not very glamorous, but they're not very pleasant to do. There are jobs and ministry opportunities and, and things you've got to do in life or at this church if you're serving. You don't get a lot of people come up to you and thank you. Maybe mo- nobody hardly even knows you're doing it. Now, if that's the case, you need to know. You may not be getting a thank you, not because the pastor doesn't know or your team leader doesn't know, or maybe just doesn't know. I want you to know that while you may not get the pat from someone else, I want you to know that God is smiling upon you and he is pleased with your effort because he does know. He does know. 
And I'm not saying and minimizing that we shouldn't go out of our way to thank each other. We should and appreciate, especially the people who have jobs like working at the Dungate. The not very fun or glamorous ministry or thing that you got to do at the house or at work or whatever it is. But when you do it, have the right attitude. You never see Malkijah complaining to Nehemiah. You don't see him going, well, I'm taking my tools back home. I'm not working on no manure gate. He has, still has the right, the right attitude. M- one more verse that I want to show you. Let, let's put it up there. It says next to them, the men of Tekoa. Stop right this here. These are the guys whose officials, whose nobles wouldn't work. Those guys say, and we read, repaired another section from the great, uh, from, from, from the, uh, another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of, of Fell. So I don't know how this happens, but when you see and you read the story, Nehemiah goes, okay, you guys work on this section, you guys work on that section, you guys here work on this section, and he lines them up side by side, shoulder to shoulder, and he gives the men of Tekoa their section. And apparently they, they must have just been, you know, they, they, instead of having an hour lunch break, took half an hour. Maybe they were the construction types and they were just knocking it out. They're done. It's only two in the after, afternoon, three in the afternoon. So they go to Nehemiah and they go, now what? He goes, what do you mean now what? Well, what about your section? Yeah, no, we're done. You're done. You're done. Yeah, we're done. It's finished. What do we do now? Well, you have a couple options. Option number one, you, you can go back, shower. Um, you know, play foosball. We're going to have dinner around 630. Or I could give you another section to work on. And they're like, bring it on. We're ready. We're go- we got the tools out. Let's go. And so they did another section. See, some of us are in a financial position where we can't contribute a lot. And that's fine for us. It's sacrifice. And others of us will take another section. Here's the point. You want to leave a legacy in your life, in your family, at your business, in this church? Have the right attitude and go the extra mile. Don't do just what's minimally asked of you. By the way, if you're in a career, in a job, I guarantee you, I guarantee you raises and promotions typically come to the people that go the extra mile, not the people that go, yeah, no, that's not on my job description. I guarantee you. Okay. Last point. Always keep in, keep in mind, keep the main thing, the main thing. What I want you to do is serve and live with purpose. When you read the book of Nehemiah, the first couple of chapters, here's what you discover. You discover that it's really not a building project. It never was intended just to be a building project. It was a project intended to glorify God and protect people. That's why it was done. And I want to make sure as I wrap up our study in this Imagine campaign that what we're doing is not just a building project. It's a people project. It's always been a people project. This is not us putting ourselves in a situation where we can have a cool building. This is us putting ourselves in a situation where we can better minister to people. To people. To help you and to help people who are not in church take their next step closer to God. That's our goal. And that was Nehemiah's goal. He does this strategically. Very interesting. Let me show you what he does. The end of the story. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs. Each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Imner, made repairs opposite his house. Next to them, Meshulah, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters, right by his condo. Why? 
Why does Nehemiah do this? He's got this big long line of workers. He's got his clipboard. He goes, well, yeah, I'm ready to work. Where do you live? What neighborhood you're in? Oh, yeah, I'm in the northwest side of Jerusalem. Okay, let me check. Okay, uh, I need you going over to that section right there. Work right in front of your apartment complex. Where do you live? Yeah, I live in the south side of Jerusalem. Okay, I'm going to have you go work, work right across from your house. Why? Why does he do this? Because he wants to remind them what's at stake. You see, the wall was the primary defensive mechanism for a city. They don't have tanks. They don't have surface-to-air missiles. It was the primary way of protecting and safeguarding a city. And if the invading army got past the wall, they would plunder the city and take women and children away as slaves. And he puts people right in front of their house because he wants to remind them what's at stake. Your family's at stake. Your neighborhood is at stake. This community is at stake. People. That's what's at stake. And that's everything that this campaign has been about. About people. And about reaching them for Jesus Christ. I'm going to have the band come up at this time. And as they're coming up and grabbing their instruments, I want to talk to you about the bricks that you saw on the way in. There's a couple stations in the back here. There's a station over in the back here. And, um, you know, someone at one of our meetings says, well, why don't you sell bricks? We're not selling bricks. You get the idea. We're going to need to get a lot of these suckers to build a building. Uh, We're not going to give a golden colored brick to someone who gives a lot. We're not doing anything like with bricks. But here's what I want to do. I want to remind you, as we wrap up our study time uh, for this campaign, that it's not just about these concrete bricks. I want to remind you that it's about people. And here's what I'm going to have you do. I want you right now to think of people in your life that don't know Jesus or are far from God. I want you to think of them right now. That classmate at school. You love hanging out with them, but they don't come to youth group with you. That family member, you come to church and they stay home. That co-worker, you get along with them really well. But anytime the topic of God comes up, they shut down. They don't want to hear anything else. That neighbor across the street, they bring you a pecan pie every Thanksgiving and they're really kind at Christmas time. You wave at each other when you're mowing the lawn. They know you're a Christian, but they never come with you. People who have either never connected to Jesus or maybe they did at one point in time. Friends and family members of us. People who used to be in this book, but have fallen away from God. I want you to allow God to bring them to your mind right now. What I'm going to have you do, we've got a couple songs. And uh, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to head back to one of the stations. I want you to grab a brick. And I want you to take one of the Sharpie pens that are there. And I want you to write their names on that brick. I want you to remember that this is not just about a building. It's about people. People that you care about and that I care about. People that we don't even yet know. That we want to help connect to God. I want you to put your name on that brick. What we're going to do is whenever we find a plot of land, whenever we find a building, we're going to take these bricks with us. 
We're going to use it in the foundation or some wall. We're, we're going to use these bricks. I've, I haven't told him yet, but it, it's going to be joy in the worship team that transport them from facility to facility. After you write how many names you want on your brick. Before you bring it up to the front. First service have already started to build their wall with names on it. We're going to have people at either side making sure we stack them right. I want you to pray, pray a simple prayer. As you have your brick with the name of people that mean something to you. It could be just their initials or their last name, whatever it is. Before you bring it up, I want you to pray this prayer. Dear God, help us. Help this church reach them for you. It's not about a building. It's about people. People that we care about. It's always been about people. Let's pray. I want you to take a moment. And I want you to think about the two or three names or four or five, whatever you want, that you want to write on that brick. I want you to just to take a moment right now and ask God that, to soften their hearts. Just take a moment and, and pray that. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you uh, for what you've taught me, how you've worked in the life of this church in these last six to eight weeks. We're so fortunate for everything you've given us and we're fortunate that it seems like we might be able to stay here just a little bit longer than we expected, but we realize it's going to come to an end and that's why this campaign. But Father, remind us and keep us focused on the primary purpose. Remind us we could meet in a tent and we will if we have to. But the point is to, to try and reach this community and especially to to reach those that we care about because without being connected to your son Jesus Christ we we know that's not how you not only want us to live but there are massive eternal consequences I pray that you would help our church do that help us do that through whatever building we end up in we love you in Jesus name It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.